0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on
1: KMOX.
2: Thank you, Megan, and you're welcome to stay in here and listen to the Garden Hotline if you choose to. This is the second hour of the Garden Hotline, I'll be giving the trip of the trail shortly. But right now you can call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, concerns, or comments. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. Give a call. We can talk about plant material, the ups and downs all arounds related to annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered as an option for you to consider. Greg is still in here producing, and Megan's staying in the studio. Thank you, Megan. She's she's going to be she's clapping. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Megan. But anyway... During the week I do something I call a walk and talk which is a landscape consultation. I come to your home and we can discuss whatever's going on, you know, from a list that you've generated or created or and I will also keep my eyes and ears open for something that might be impacting your landscape, maybe not major yet but catching it before it becomes major, that could be certainly something to help you. And it could be major and I you're just not even conscious of it because the outdoors is very, very difficult here. We're in that transitional zone where north meets south, and, boy, oh, boy, some plant material does great for X amount of period of time, years, and then all of a sudden we've got a little bit of change in the weather, and, oh, gosh, darn it. But anyway, so you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and that's my homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is, and you can contact me and we set up a time to do a walk and talk. As I said in the first hour, I'm headed to Edwardsville after the show today. Uh, Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial again, goes out to this time of year. I mean, it's kind of boring outside, but uh, a place where it's not boring related to plant material. Obviously, the Botanical Garden is one, but also these Various garden clubs and plant societies and things like that. I mean, it's just fantastic, the information that they all share with you, photographs of their own yards and other places as well. So like the Mid-America Regional Lily Society, the Mid-Illinois Iris Society, the Mississippi Valley Garden Club, the Newtown Garden Club, which is in St. Charles— and the, o- the O'Fallon Garden Club, O'Fallon, Missouri. And then there's also an O'Fallon Garden Club in Illinois, too. So that just shows you the diversity of the plant material and or plant material. The plant societies and where, I mean, they're just kind of fun to sit in on. Even if they use, I don't know, I'm not interested in iris or I'm not interested in lilies or I'm not. But you might be. It's just, you know, go and attend one meeting and see what you think. You could be surprised. Something could be. All of a sudden, the light comes on. And you say, wow, that's really something I remember from way back when, or that's something I've never even seen before, and now I can get some great information related to that. So, again, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. After this break, we're going to be talking with Craig, Nancy, Ann, and Joe. So, Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline. See you real soon.
3: Welcome back
0: to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on
2: KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go. And Dave lives in Despair. Hi, Dave. How are you today?
3: Good morning, Michael. This is Audubon Dave. How are you doing?
2: <laughs> Very good. How are you? Whoa, <laughs> Audubon Dave. Yeah. <laughs> well, great.
3: I got a quick question for you. Um, I'm when I do my grassy planting this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll probably be after I put down my crabgrass preventer and uh, and fertilizer. Would that bother the, the grass seed at all?
2: Yep. It certainly will. It will. That'll make it so none of your grass seed will could germinate. You know, uh, so you gotta kinda choose one or the other. Okay. So how's retirement? Wonderful. Dave used to be Wonderful. the pharmacist where we always go, you know, they're at the Walgreens at Holly Hills and Gravois Avenue.
3: That's right. That's right. How's the neighborhood?
2: <laughs> Very good. We enjoy it a lot. I hey, miss listen, you.
3: I can uh, answer that guy's hummingbird question.
2: Okay, go ahead.
3: They, uh, you're right. They usually show up about you know middle of April, and uh, you can put the feeders out. And just the ratio is a uh, four to one water to sugar. Ah. And uh, don't use the the red colored water. That's not supposed to be good for the uh, hummingbirds. Really. But um. Yeah, I don't know why, but it's not supposed to be good. So that, you know, that should help that guy out.
2: Wow, perfect. Well, thanks for the great insight. And I mean, yes, who, who better to do that than you? I mean, <laughs> Dave goes all over the world to look at birds. I mean, I don't know how many birds you have on your Audubon list, but I'm sure it's substantial.
3: Yeah, I, I haven't counted them lately. I, I don't know. But uh, listen, hey, say hi to Tracy for me.
2: I will certainly do that. Thanks, Dave.
3: All right, see you later.
2: <laughs> yep, thanks. Yeah, I knew Dave from long ago, and all of a sudden when we moved from Sular to South St. Louis, he was the pharmacist at the Walgreens we went to. Uh, Craig lives in Dardeen Prairie. Hi, Craig, how are you?
1: Morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Just wanted to comment also on the uh, hummingbird food that the gentleman called in about. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is four cups of water to one cup of sugar. And the way to do that is to put your water in a pot, put more than four cups in there because you're going to get evaporation. Right. Turn your heat on high. Bring the pot to a rolling boil, no lid. Boil it. Once it gets to a rolling boil, boil it for two minutes. Turn off the heat. Just let it sit until it cools down. Then put your four cups of water into a jar or whatever you want to put it in and your one cup of sugar, then fill your feeder. What you have left, you can put in the fridge, and it'll last for two weeks. Do not put any red food coloring in it. That does not draw the hummingbirds.
2: (laughs) Well, two people in a row say, forget the red. So, well, that's perfect. right.
1: And don't buy any of that stuff they sell at the stores, that ready-mix stuff. The sugar and water is the best thing for the hummingbird. So you're
2: saying boil the water so you're actually cleaning the water before you put the sugar in it? Is that what you're doing?
1: Correct. That's why you don't put a lid on the pot so all that stuff will evaporate out of the water so you have, you know, just basic water without all the chemicals.
2: Right, because, I mean, tap water is—Tracy hates the tap water. She hates the taste of it. Me, I guess I'm kind of routine or mundane or whatever, so I I do tap water, but she doesn't do it at all because of that taste of, from the chemicals.
1: Right, right. Well, this will get rid of it.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Craig. So, folks, do not put any red coloration in your hummingbird feeders whatsoever. Two experts right in a row. So thanks, Craig. And now let's go to Nancy, and Nancy is in Melville. Hi, Nancy.
4: Hi, Mike. I am no expert, so there goes your, your, uh, your record there. But <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> That's why I'm calling you.
2: Aha. Uh-huh. So my question
4: is, when can I start soil testing my garden, vegetable garden, and then my yard?
2: As soon as the ground is not frozen and you can get soil samples. Okay. So I mean, you're talking about taking the sample and and sending it someplace, right? Not doing the test yourself. Correct. Okay, yeah. So as soon as you can get to this, you know, get the soil and, you know, some of the companies, University of Missouri does it, there's a company over in Illinois in Belleville that does it. A lot of them will send you the kit, so it'll give you the bags and everything else to send back. So okay. it is really really important and the earlier you get it, you can really not make any Type of mistakes like maybe you've already got ex, you know extravagant levels of certain chemicals or certain you know elements of fertilizer. So staying mm-hmm. away from that f- type of fertilizer completely. So this is the earlier you get it, the better it's going to be.
4: So what do I do? Like Google um, like soil sample for yeah. a Belleville and see what comes up. Okay.
2: Yeah, the, I forget what the name. I th- the I think the company's name is. Uh, let me if you want to hold on one second. I think I might have it here. Uh, let's see. It's probably, hmm, it's SGS, that's the name of the company, in Belleville, and they're on Main Street. Okay. I appreciate your help. Thank Great. you. Yep, good luck with that, yeah. Soil testing is something I think is extremely important. So good luck, Nancy. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Ann, and Ann lives in De Pere. Hi, Ann.
4: Hi, uh, Mike. I have a question about my ivy beds. Some of them look very healthy, like you would expect them to look in the winter. They're dark green, and others look really like they're on their last legs. um, They're brownish. They look like they've been frostbitten. And I'm wondering, are they going to come back, or do I have to... We plant in the spring. What it, what is it, what is it supposed to look like
2: in the wintertime? <laughs> well, it should look like green. But the ones that you're seeing that look brown, they got scorched. Broadleaf evergreens, whether were azaleas, rhododendrons, holly, or anything else, euonymus or ivy. When we had that really severe cold spell a couple weeks ago, that really burnt a lot of the evergreens. And, you know, more so the conifers that have needles, they don't have a, you know, I mean, the gentleman called about the Alberta spruce that got winter burn. But for the most part, the broadleaf evergreens are the ones that are going to be showing the damage. Now, those leaves won't come back. Now, hopefully the stems where those leaves are or those leaves will just ultimately fall off. But where those stems are, you should get some new growth off those stems unless there's some severe cold in that spot.
4: Okay. Okay, great. Okay, thank you very much. That's all I wanted to know.
2: Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it's really, you know, kind of a difficult circumstance. But what I would plan on doing is, depending upon how large these areas are, Take a couple leaves to your favorite garden center that look good so you can get a type of ivy that matches it because you may end up having to buy a couple flats of ivy and then planting them in the existing beds to kind of compensate for the slow recovery as a result of the cold damage. So thanks, Ann. And if anybody has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Joe lives in Hazelwood. Hi, Joe.
5: Hi Mike. I've been maintaining a uh, compost pile for the last year and um I work in a restaurant. I had the luxury of having all kinds of uh, vegetable peels and eggshells and coffee grains that I that I get tons of. Mm-hmm. Am I in any am I in any danger of of over um uh Putting that stuff in my compost, can I make it too rich that w- that it would harm my uh, my soil when I mix it next year, or am I okay and just loading it up with that stuff?
2: You're probably fine with that. The only thing I'd be worried about is maybe the eggshells because of the calcium. You could get too much of the calcium in there, and that could cause some you know some problems. You know, with roses, they like a lot of calcium. The rose food has calcium in it, but uh, you just have to watch out. And no meat byproducts whatsoever. So it's as long as it's you know.
5: Bread, but I've got, I've got a, lot of, a lot of vegetables that rot, and uh, I plant mostly vegetables in the summertime the springtime, right? T- tomatoes and all that. I was just afraid that maybe too many coffee grinds or too much of something is going to maybe uh, be an ill effect on the, on the season. Well, look,
2: unless, unless you're, putting you're putting a huge amount of coffee grounds, ground and ground maybe you far. are, it if could impact the soil pH. Mm-hmm. So that would be the only concern I'd have related to the coffee grounds.
5: Uh, what's a good pH for the soil
2: uh, to, you know with lawn, you basically want a slightly acidic soil you know slightly acidic soil so let's say 6.8 down to about 6.0. For vegetables you kind of want a neutral right around seven so you just you kind of got to watch out.
5: Okay, that's good information. Yeah, I had never tested my soil yet, and I think it's going to be important. I do.
2: Yeah, if you're really serious about growing, I don't know if you're using your vegetables for home or if you're using them actually at work, but I would get a soil test done and find out what's going on.
5: Yeah, it's just a hobby for home. But oh, great. Uh, I'm at that retirement age, so it's, uh, it's a necessary thing. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks. Enjoy your show.
2: Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Let's see. Why don't we get to... Uh, Go to Alton. Wow, we haven't been to Alton for a week or two. In into Joseph's yard. Hi, Joseph.
3: Welcome, welcome.
2: Thank my you. Own,
3: uh,
0: first time caller. Wow. Uh, here's my my every year uh, we have one tree in our yard, but we are surrounded by trees, and we get so many leaves, that I grind them up, and I like to put them all around the trees and around the foundation of the house. And I use them in my garden. I have a huge pile. But every year I like to take these and just – it keeps the grass down. It keeps the moisture in. Is that a good idea or not?
2: It's fine. I mean, the botanical garden, they call it leaf mold, which – M-O-L-D. I don't know why they call it mold as opposed to leaf mulch. But a lot of them were, you know, just – collected on the garden grounds, and they were piled down by, you know, where the maintenance center was in huge piles. And I put a layer of, you know, leaf mold in the woodland garden every year that I was there. I usually put about three or four inches, and then uh, as the weather came, rain came and everything else, then that's, you know, they started breaking down, of course, and they compacted down, so it wasn't that deep later on. But, yeah, leaf mold is not – there's not a problem with it. The only problem that there may be – is if some of these leaves had some kind of disease on them, not necessarily won't impact the plant material where you're putting them around, but it just means that that disease can be around to reinfect the trees wherever these tree, you know, the leaves are coming from.
0: Yeah, it's it seems like it works out real well. Great, it's, it's grind them up and just just lay them around. I have a nice thick bed, and then during the, the when we come to the springtime, we break them up, turn right. them up into the ground more. And it, um, I think it's a great idea, First, especially our, our evergreens. It just keeps the moisture in there during the hot season.
2: Absolutely. And what I do is I have a mulching mower. And so I, you know, I rake up a lot of leaves, but a lot of them I don't. I just run the mulching mower over it and then the leaves. I even run my mower over, you know, plant beds, too, before the plant material starts coming up during the dormancy. And then, you know, if it looks too thick or too deep, then I go ahead and pull, you know, actually some places I use a broom. I don't use a rake to get these mulch leaves out of there. And so, no, it's a great idea to do that. Thanks, buddy. All right. Great.
1: Go your show.
2: Well, thank you for having me on your show. And we should probably take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
0: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, or Information-wise, wow, we've had some great information related to hummingbirds. Don't do the red. Whoa, thanks. And uh, Mary lives in St. Louis. How are you today, Mary?
4: Hi, Mike. I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Good, good. You were in my old neighborhood, by the way, when you were in that uh, <clears throat> garden area. Oh, really? There used to, Yeah, there used to be row houses there. And like ancient times ago, I actually grew up right around there. Wow. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm calling is I caught the tail end of the orchid dis- discussion this morning, and it sounded like there's a lot of skepticism about putting ice on right. them. Well, I was given one of those ice-only, it's called a just-add-ice just orchid. And uh, by my, from my son maybe four or five years ago mm-hmm. now, that's all I've done to it. I have only put three ice cubes every Saturday morning when your show starts, it stays in a southern exposure window and in the kitchen. So I guess it gets, you know, a fair share of moisture and a lot of bright sun in that window. But it right now it has eight blooms on it. It comes back every January to February. Sounds
2: so once, perfect.
4: Once a year. It only blooms once a year. But it that's all I've ever done is add ice. I've never changed what it's growing in or anything. <laughs> and I keep wondering, how long is it going to you know go on but it blooms every year
2: well that's great and you know the only concern that i had and the gentleman who called about the ice is if you have the surface rooting coming out on top of the bark then laying the ice on it could damage those roots and those roots are not really essential as far as necessarily absorbing nutrients or anything they're more for like keeping the plant upright so that was what our main concern was just yeah, and obviously if you've done it for all these years, you've had great success. That's why I say my, you know, advice and everything else is certainly not the only garden path to take.
4: Well, I am no green thumb by any means, so I always take your advice. But I just wanted to let you know that some that, that does actually, it did work. It does work in, in this case. So it doesn't seem to hurt them, and I do lay those cubes, like, right on top. Right. Um, so... I guess they melt slow. I don't know. So it
2: works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I'm great, Mary. At it
4: right
2: now. So. <laughs> I thank you very much for your insight because, like I said, mine is not the only garden path. So there's a great example where I was kind of anti ice cubes. Here's somebody that's had great success with her orchids for multiple years. So let's go from Mary's yard to George, and George li- lives in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, George. Good
5: morning, Mark Mike. Hi. Hey, I'm going to get a jump on spring. I'm looking at starting some uh, annuals and vegetables indoors. When would be the best time, you think, to start the seeds? And if you have any tips, yeah, I'd like to hear them.
2: Yeah, if you want to really start them, I would get some grow lights first. Yeah, I got some. Okay, so you got the grow lights. I would say probably we're... You're not going to be able to put them out because the ground is going to be too cold. I mean, you may be able to put them out, and they may not die, but they may—they probably won't grow. So, are we talking about cool season vegetables? Or are we talking about? Yeah. Okay, so like broccoli and cauliflower and all that kind of stuff.
5: Well, that in annuals, you know.
2: Like pansies, yeah. or you know. Yeah. Okay, oh, so
5: sunflowers think you know they're in the summer,
2: yeah. So, basically, what you probably should do is wait until maybe the first. I would personally wait until the first of March before I did the seeds and then get the, the potting mix for starting plant material and you know, seed starting potting mix and do that, you know, do it that way. And uh, just realize that uh, you know, the transition from you growing them, you know, to the actually getting outside and having success is going to be great fun.
5: Yeah, I um, you you start in, in early March then probably.
2: Yeah, probably early March. You know, it's weather dependent, but uh, yeah, probably early March, maybe mid March. So they you know they've got a period of time, and with the cool season vegetables, it may be a little bit too late. So you might want to try some. You know, you've got I don't know how many pack or how many seeds is in the pack, but maybe do a few seeds and then wait for a week or so and then do some more seeds and then do some more seeds rather than just putting the whole pack in at once. Okay. And that, that way you can transition it and see how healthy they look. Because a lot of times, even under grow lights, you, know, you want the grow lights only about one to two inches above the potting mix that they're growing in. So they can be, it can be really intense while they're small. If you don't do that, then they're going to really elongate and they're just going to flop over.
5: And then you hard them off, you know, put right. them out in a little shade for a while, and then kind of move them into the sun some. And
2: yeah, you probably don't. You may have to do that, but uh, the sun is not all that intense that early. But uh, yeah, that wouldn't certainly hurt. And you know, c- keep them in the on the in the flat or the pot or whatever you're growing them in as long as you possibly can. Mm-hmm.
5: Okay, very good.
2: All right, good luck with that. Thanks. Yeah, and now let's go to uh, Rick. And Rick lives in Eureka. Hi, Rick.
1: Hey, good morning, Mike. I've got uh, some landscaping that's got a pretty heavy white rock in the landscape, and I get an enormous amount of vines growing up from those rocks. Is there anything I can put on that to to knock those vines down? Seems like the more I pull them, the more I the more they grow. Yeah, like they split, they seed, and pop more more vines.
2: Do you know if it's an annual vine or perennial vine?
1: Couldn't tell you. Okay, <laughs> they're there every year, so like it must be annual. Like coming back. <laughs>
2: But what I would probably do is as soon as they come up, you know, take a cutting, you know, an 8-inch or 10-inch cutting that has the foliage on it to your favorite garden center and find out because there's two different ways you can go about doing it. If it's an annual vine, you know, that's coming back, what you can do is use a pre-emergent to put that down, and that will kill it because it's coming back from seed, kill it just as the seeds germinate. If it's a perennial vine, what you can do is take your, you know, a pair of gloves— Crush the, the vine when they come up, just start coming up. And right after you crush it, just paint Roundup right onto the the leaves where you've crushed. And that should kill it all the way down through the stems and into the root system. But it's probably, you know, something that's coming up, you know, obviously from the soil. It's not coming necessarily from the rock, I would well, hope. I just
1: Yeah, I think it's just the rock is protecting it. And it just, it pops right up through the rock.
2: Right, exactly.
1: Exactly it's too hardy. To, the rock won't stop it. It comes right up through it.
2: Right. So you can either paint the Roundup right onto those crushed leaves, but the leaves because that opens up the wounds or there's some, you know, there's actually a sponge dabber where it's a bottle, a tube, and a sponge on the end of it. And then you can, that way you don't have to worry about the Roundup drifting onto other plant material or anything else that's there and just dab it right onto the plants after you've stepped on them or crushed them or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Great. Thanks for the
2: help. Yeah, so pre-emergent or post-emergent. So if it's an annual vine, then you can use a pre-emergent. You might use a post-emergent, too, if some still come up, even after putting the pre-emergent down. Let's go now to from Eureka up to Florescent And, Randy, how are you today?
6: I'm fine, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Good. Um, I just had a question um, about... Oh, three, maybe even four years ago now. I'm not sure exactly, but we had a, a, you know, the that fire blight Mm -hmm. uh, disease. Well, like a lot of uh, tree species that are susceptible to that, you know, pears and quince and
2: crab apples,
6: crab apples, right? Yeah, um, they all showed it real bad, you know. And now we haven't seen any evidence of that for. These past several years, and I'm wondering—is I know that can kind of like lay dormant, sort of. Right. But uh, do we have to worry about it resurfacing again?
2: Uh, yeah. y- y- it's usually when it's you know it's really it's kind of an internal circumstance. So right. it just depends upon how healthy the plants are. If they've really done well, they may be able to, you know, have sloughed it off. But for the most part, usually when it gets it, they, it's, you know, it's going to be there for the yeah, life of the tree or whatever yeah, it happens to be. Ter- terminal. Right.
6: Um, yeah. Uh, well, okay. Maybe, maybe the plants have just outgrown
2: it. <laughs> that Hopefully. would be good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
6: okay. So... That's all, that's all I needed.
2: Okay, great. Well, thanks, Randy. And uh, I think Randy's and I used to work at the Botanical Garden together. And, uh, yeah, the fire blight is, you know, it could be deadly. It just depends upon the overall health of the tree. What it does is cause problems with various aspects, depending upon what type of fire blight it is. It causes defoliation of leaves, and that just, you know, means without leaves, then the plant can't, be, you know, get healthy again. So you're just going to have to try and uh, just... It's, Keep your fingers crossed. That's the best thing you can do. Let's go now to Denny, and Denny lives in Wildwood. Hi, Denny.
0: Hello, Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, I was hoping to cut back on my ornamental grasses this weekend. Is that too early? Should I wait a little bit longer? What, what do you think on that?
2: Um, it's probably roll the dice. I don't see anything wrong with it. The only Are they starting to shatter? Are the blades starting to break off?
0: Um, You know, actually, at the end of last fall, when they started flopping all over, I kind of tied them up. So they're fine, and I can wait if you – but that's that's what I wanted to check. I thought – and it feels a little bit early because we might have some cold weather yet.
2: Yeah, it would have to be pretty severe cold. You know, and hopefully we're not going to have that kind of cold, you know, from this point forward. But who knows? You could leave them till towards the end of this month if you wanted to. Or you could, if you just decide you're tired of looking at them or anything else, <laughs> then you could just go ahead and cut them down. And do you know which kind do you have? you have, like, maiden grass or fountain grass? A little bit of both. Okay. So with each one, you're going to cut at a different height. And then you know those spots where those blades that you've cut off, those are not going to regenerate. You've Right. Su- So you're just going to have new growth on the perimeter of the plant.
0: Yeah, got it. Okay, well, I'll just pull off a little bit. Thanks for the advice.
2: Yep, good luck with that. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
0: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, we got about uh, 10 minutes or so to go in the show. At 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. And 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business. There's also several other shows, too. There's Health Matters. There's the KMOX Auto Show. And there's the replay of the Baseball Writers Dinner. So great lineup here on KMOX. Back to the phones. Jerry lives in St. Louis. Hi, Jerry.
0: Hi. I have a question about the orchids. Hmm. I have uh, quite a few. And uh, the, the question is about the uh, surface roots. Uh, they're quite a mess. Uh, some of them are like over a foot long, and they have even attached themselves to the wall. <laughs> uh, however... <laughs> However, uh, some of them are really green and healthy looking, and a lot of them are gray and very unsightly. And I'm just wondering if I can cut off the, the ones that don't look that great without hurting the plants.
2: Well for the most part, I don't recommend you know cutting them because what you can do though any of the the, the unsightly ones, just take one of them, cut it off and look on the inside of you know, the root as, you know, when you've cut it off. See if it still looks green and viable and all that other stuff because it may just be the aging process. Just like my hair is really ugly and gray because I'm really old. So it may be some, you know something like that as opposed to being young and aggressive with, let's say, darker color hair like I had when I was younger. But uh, I would say generally I would not recommend cutting the roots. I mean, mm-hmm. climbing the wall, that's a little scary. Anything that's doing that, I, you know, are they really? They, are they attached to the wall or are you just kind of running up the wall?
0: No, it actually attached itself to the wall. Wow, because
2: I mean that's how they hold onto tree trunks and stuff like that in their native habitat. So that's something they should do. But I've never really known somebody that's kind of kept their orchids in the same place long enough for that, you know, exact same location. But anything that's climbing the wall, I you know, I'd probably cut that one off. But I would look at the ones that you're thinking that are not very good looking. My thinking is they're not dead because. You know, you go to the botanical garden, you look at the orchids, or you go to, let's say, the orchid society meetings, and uh, you know, for the most part, when they have them for sale or anything else, when they're older and mature, they, you know, the the root systems are just kind of w- uh, cascading over this edge of the pots, as you know, on the older plants. Mm-hmm. So they generally don't cut them.
0: Okay. Well, I won't do that then. <laughs> but just uh, another, another comment. Uh, I have one plant that has bloomed three times on the same stalk. Whoa! The stalk never died, and it is now budding for the third time, the same stalk.
2: That's fantastic. Because I always tell yeah. people when they finish flowering, just cut them off. But there's been a couple other callers that, you know, with the variety of orchid that they had, they got reblooms on the same stalk. Mm hmm. All right. Thanks for your advice. Well, thanks, Jerry. And uh, let's go now to Marthasville and into Patchyard. Hi, Pat.
0: Hi, Mike. How are you?
2: Good.
7: Uh, My call is regarding a river birch tree that I planted about seven years ago. And when I planted it, it was probably about seven feet tall. Now it's pushing 25, if not maybe even 30. And my concern with it is one of the main parts of the tree has an angle that's probably about 75 degrees and then the other there's another limb or part of the tree that is relatively straight up and down so my concern moving forward is that limb that's at an angle i guess just out of sheer weight and gravity eventually is going to tear away is there a good plan with that moving forward and the two things I have in my mind is one should I cut it or two should I try and strap these two limbs together
2: I would and say if I should
7: cut it how far down should I cut it
2: yeah I would say if it you know the let's say the one that's you're concerned with at this angle is it growing over your house or growing over something or is it making it so you can't walk underneath it
7: oh no it's not that severe at all when I say let me, let me push this backwards. It, it's nearly vertical, but it's off that vertical line of what would be maybe 90 degrees to about a 70-degree
2: Okay, so that's not a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's how they naturally grow, especially if you have multiple trunks coming out of the same base. A lot of times, you know, the river birch will have three or four trunks, and each one— to, to get adequate light, it's going to be forced to, you know, reach in a slightly different direction than the other ones that are attached to the same, let's say, tr- major trunk. So this is not really a problem at all. I, River birch are very, very tough. I don't see, you know, I'm not going to say maybe if there was a tornado or something, it might, you know, cause the one that's leaning. But uh, it's not even leaning that much. I thought you meant it was leaning at a 70-degree angle. Not that it no, was.
7: No, no, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I'm that
2: sorry. was my fault for not mis, for misunderstanding. So, so, basically, this is how they grow, and you've got <laughs> you can anticipate another twenty-five to thirty feet, you know, of height with this whole thing.
7: So, as of now, I should just let it be what it yeah, is.
2: Yeah, I don't think you'll probably ever have to do anything with it. I've seen some really mature ones, and some you know the interior of the trunks. As they, you know, continue to elongate, the inside of each trunk is probably going to have less and less branches. So most of the branches are going to be on the, you know, the exterior. But the, they're not really heavy duty like the leaves on a river birch versus, versus the leaves on an oak tree. So they're not going to be that much problem, even if, you know, we have high winds when they're fully leafed out.
7: Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your time.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you've got a great tree. And the only thing I worry about with river birch is the root systems. Because they're from swampy areas, the root systems are extremely aggressive and keep going and going and going. And now let's go from Marthasville over to Granite City. Hi, Dennis. How are you?
0: Hi. How you doing? Very good. I like good. your show. Listen, the last couple of years I've planted um, mums in my yard and just bought them like at Home Depot, and I noticed they didn't come back. Can you tell me if they're annuals or perennials? I actually looked at one of them and saw – sticker on there that my other half left that looked like it said annual on there. So I guess it wouldn't come back.
2: Well, basically there's not an annual. Usually if you buy the mums that are fully in, let's say in flower or fully budded, and there's no little leaflets right at the stem where the stem's coming up out of the ground, that one's not going to come back regardless of what type it is or anything else. So that's where the trouble comes is they've kind of been pushed past being a perennial, because there is not an annual, I shouldn't say there isn't any, but there usually is not annual chrysanthemums being sold. So it's just the fact that these are, you know, been pushed for production for, you know, to be able to give you flowers for about uh, two weeks or so. They're not really put, you know, or planted or let's say sold to be able to come back year after year after year. You should get them earlier in the year or get, if you get them later in the season, like you have been doing, Look at the, you know, like I said, where the stem's coming up out of the potting mix, there should be little leaflets there, and those little leaflets kind of guarantee that you're going to have some new leaves for the following year, consequently new flowers. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. And, yeah, it's a little bit iffy because we kind of think, well, these are perennials, but they're never coming back, but that's what it is. They've just been kind of accelerated as far as their growth goes. Let's go now. Let's stay in Illinois and go... To Alton, and that's where Bill lives. Hi, Bill.
0: Hi, Bill. Yeah, here I'm am. I am raising my tomatoes in five gallon buckets with holes drilled in the bottom
1: for drainage. Mm-hmm. But I get blossom rot. Can you tell me how to get rid of that darn blossom rot?
2: Yeah, basically, blossom end rot is lack of calcium in your potting mix or in your fertilizer that you're using. So, are you using tomato food?
0: I'm using it a, a
1: the garden
2: variety says it's for gardens. Use, go and get one that on the box says tomato food because it's going to have the extra calcium that prevents this blossom end rot. But I would okay. tell you, too, you know, using the same pots over and over and over again, the blossom end rot could be inoculated into the soil a little bit. So you might think about getting some new soil before you even start using the new tomato fertilizer.
0: I get tomato fertilizer?
2: Yeah, I don't see it right on the box. Scott's makes it. You know, they have all kinds of different fertilizer, but this will say tomato fertilizer, and it will say something like with extra calcium or something along that line. But Blossom and Rot is just because there's not enough calcium in the growing medium.
0: All right. What kind of soil should I be putting
2: in? Uh, Use potting mix, not potting soil.
0: Potting
4: mix. Right. Okie dokie. Thank you very much.
2: Yep. And now let's go to Shirley from Winsville. Hi, Shirley.
4: Good morning. Hi. Uh, I, I have a quick question uh, on fungicide. I'd like to know when to start it. I had trouble with almost every plant I have of getting the black spot and the leaves turning yellow and dropping off. And I want to know if I could put it on everything.
2: I don't know if you need to put it on everything, but basically, as soon as the leaves are about halfway out, that's when you make your first application of the fungicide. Then you wait for you know another couple weeks, then it's another application of fungicide. So it's going to you know with these fungus circumstances. You've got to really kind of keep up with it. maybe three or four different applications to get it past that point. Also, allowing anything that had the black spot or any kind of fungus on it, those leaves to fall and just lay on the ground. When it rains really hard, you could be splashing it up onto the buds of these leaves, and you could be re-inoculating it that way. So keeping the areas where the plants that do have the fungus problems you know, pretty much clean from the debris from the previous year, and especially if those leaves have had any kind of fungus spotting on them.
4: I try to keep them off the ground, yeah. keep it clean. Um, can I put that on uh, roses, arborvitaes, uh, rhododendron?
2: Well, you um, probably, those don't really need it. Arborvitae are not going to have black spot, or they shouldn't, and uh, rhododendrons either. So whatever's causing the problems with the foliage with them is different from the black spot that's causing, you know, let's say on roses or something along that line.
4: Okay. Okay, so after the first um, application, how long do I wait for the
2: second one, did you say? Uh, probably two to three weeks, you know, and then another one. So thanks, Shirley, and thanks to everybody for, you know, calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week.
0: A proud partner of the
3: 2018 100th PGA Championship at Bell Reve Country Club.
1: KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis. hd 3 St. Louis.